The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lathea Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Welcome to Nightlight Radio. The Nightlight is the Lathea Bible Fellowship's late night biblical counseling program. For the next hour, you can call in, text, or message. You can email us at counseling at abfpdx.org. Or we're willing to video chat you even over Facebook Messenger. Our phone number is 971-208-5290, and our chat profiles are in the link. We are here to have relevant and biblical problem-solving conversations about the difficult issues that nobody really prefers to talk about. If you or someone you know needs help, you can talk to us. The camera's on for the next hour. I'm Pastor Josh with ABF's Chaplains in Training. This is Jacob and... Justine. And hiding in the control booth, as always, is producer Jasmine, so let's go ahead and do this. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, Today is going to be the uh, finale episode for um, season two of Nightlight Radio. Uh, So we'll be back in season three, but we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus here for the summer months and uh, get back to you starting next year. Uh, But let's just dive into it. So today we're going to be dealing with the topic of deconstruction. So some of you and I'm going to try to go fast on this because there's a lot there. Um, Some of you might want to know what deconstruction is. And um, it's really kind of a big topic as we were trying to narrow it down, trying to figure out what to talk about. Um, There's a lot there. So it really starts with the concept of postmodernism, which is just the idea that truth is relative, truth is subjective. It's something that's kind of left over from... um, from several years ago, uh, and we, we could get into the history of that, but uh, there's a lot of books on it, and uh, it's just, you know, if, you, if you've, you've people who talk about, you know, your truth versus my truth, that's sort of the outworking of postmodernism. So, um, basically, there's this downward spiral that happens, and it begins with the rejection of absolute truth, and when you, when you have that, it leads to a loss of distinction in religion and faith and... Um, it culminates in a type of pluralism. It culminates in this idea of syncretism that we sort of like take what we need from various um, belief systems. And so there's no actual claim to truth in people's lives. So um, this has kind of crept into into Christianity. It's It's been out there in the world for a long time, and it sort of goes in cycles. But it's creeping right now into like modern Western Americanized Christianity, and uh, it's it's kind of a growing trend, which is why we want to talk about it because it has massive implications for people's psyches, um, for people's inner person, for the the spiritual nature of um, who people are. So, like I said, it's a growing trend. It's kind of viewed as the hip um, way to look at it to deconstruct your faith. It's sort of the new enlightenment, and um, it's widespread. So. Um, like I said, I'm just going to kind of barrel through these things. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. So why, why is this out there? Why, why are people deconstructing their faith right now? So there's lots of reasons why it would be, but I would say that one of the main causes is hypocrisy. Uh, the, the church in particular has been very hypocritical, and I can go into to that more, I actually will, but uh, it's been very hypocritical. Um, The second aspect of it is that there is a natural maturation process where people grow up and they sort of shed the identity that they started with and they they create a new um, identity, hopefully with foundations that are left over. So a lot of times... Uh, people will, you know, move away from their families, for instance, and start new families. That's completely normal. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a ripe ground for that. Um, sociologists say that uh, there's nearly 50% of people who start out with a faith go through a, go through, <clears throat> excuse me, a transition um, in their faith. Uh, it's, it's normal. So there's that. The other thing is that there's a lack of doctrinal basis for faith, um, which you know you might view as hypocrisy, but it doesn't have to be. It could be some sometimes that somebody just has a simple faith; they they live it well, but um, it doesn't necessarily stand up when somebody is uh, going through life's difficulties and it hasn't been encountered. So there can be a lack of 
um, doctrinal basis for faith. I would call that a lack of construction, since we're talking about deconstruction. Um, let's see. That can oftentimes cause disillusionment. And um, I can tell you, like, within ABF, which is this church, Aletheia Bible Fellowship, a lot of the people that we encounter, um, a lot of our parishioners come from disillusioned environments where, you know, maybe the, their previous experience with church wasn't uh, wasn't enough. So, um, yeah. Uh, then there's cultural pressure. So two-thirds of Americans, so 66% of American uh, young adults who attended a Protestant church on a regular basis as a teenager say that they dropped out of going to church for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22. This is according to Lifeway Research. And the, the biggest reasons, I'm sure you can guess, have to do with uh, the issues of racial justice and sexuality and how that church deals with those issues in regard to their relationship to the Bible. One in six adults, in fact, in Generation Z, which is the current, um, I don't know, the, the current texting generation, the current Instagram generation, in Generation Z identifies as LGBT according to a Gallup poll that was done. And that's vastly different than it was, you know, in Generation X and the uh, the uh, generations previous to that. So Barner Research also recently found that over half of Gen Z say that our country definitely has a race problem, um, but the church doesn't necessarily or hasn't necessarily addressed that very well. And um, most in the church, in the next generation, Gen Z would say the church absolutely has a responsibility to address the race and justice issues going on around us. So there's just a real big um, uh, pressure in the culture to deal with to deal with these things. So I don't know, uh, before I go into things, I don't know, would you guys like to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I uh, can relate to the disillusionment within the church aspect of it. Um, I did a, um, it was like a, um, an older ministry that we have called Tiles, where I talked about this, um, about two years ago, where in my past, I went to uh, a church in my hometown, uh, multiple actually, and um, I didn't really get a whole lot of doctrinal learning done. It was more like a social circle, I guess, but it wasn't actually a productive or fruitful youth group, and so I um, didn't go back to that church. I just found that to be exactly what's being talked about, hypocritical. Um, I found that people would show up on Sunday, have a social gathering, and if you will, and then go back and continue on as if nothing has changed in their sinful life. Um, and the pastors really didn't have a whole lot of um, ways or authority, um, it seemed, from their fruit to speak into those individuals' lives who were clearly living a sinful lifestyle. I didn't like that. I also went into another church, and um, I went there with my cousin, and I wasn't actually formally greeted as a new member. Um, it was just from the parents of the kids that I knew that kind of took me in, but it wasn't any of the leaders. And I didn't really like that either because I didn't feel fully welcome. Um, but I know that... Um, as time has went on, <clears throat> there's been growth. But back then, it wasn't enough for my lost spirit. And I ended up actually becoming spiritually lost in a full-fledged way after I joined um, the Navy. And these experiences with uh, these churches happened beforehand. Um, and so it is a huge issue if it's not um, taken seriously. Um, I ended up becoming um, very depressed and uh, self-defeated in my own psych, but um, through that, I understood from deconstructing my point of view, uh, I understood exactly who God was and reconstructed my life towards him. So I think that's how we will pretty much go into the healthy ways of that and what that looks like, but there's a lot of very unhealthy ways. And so it's a very, very layered topic. 
I'm good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, okay. So let's talk about it. And again, you guys can uh, say stuff to us too. The phone number, if you want to text us, is 971-208-5290. Of course, you can just you know put something in the chat. Um, and if you want to talk to us outside of this conversation, you can email us. Well, you can text us at that same number, or you can email us at counseling at abfpdx.org. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about it too. So I grew up in the church, um, and I was a pastor's kid and I witnessed a lot of hypocrisy, uh, in the church, a lot of red tape, a lot of politics for getting things done. People arguing about, you know, where they're going to store their years of garbage, um, (laughs) you know, what color they're going to paint the walls or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, I saw a lot of excuse for sin, um, I saw a lot of extreme judgment for people not doing things that were worthy of extreme judgment. Um, yeah, and I, I don't want to get into too much details about that, but um, I saw a lot of what I would deem hypocrisy like growing up in the church, and that was really difficult for me. Um, I don't have research in front of me, but if you look at the research on like pastors' children and their kind of falling away rate, it's it's kind of high. Um, and I, in particular, I'm kind of a verbose person and I was constantly treated as a problem by church leadership. Um, I was like publicly humiliated. I mean, I didn't personally feel humiliated, but I was tried to be publicly humiliated in a church business meeting. I was gossiped about, I was, uh, reprimanded for things that were completely biblical. Uh, I was kicked out of a Bible study. Um, yeah, so I was kind of forced out of the church's social dynamic, and um, but at the same time, I, I you know by that time I had come to be of working age, and so I naturally, as one does when they're you know working, I developed relationships with my coworkers who were mostly secular in nature, didn't grow up in the church, and mostly non-believers, and so. Um, It kind of like fit the mold for me to sort of get out of the church because uh, the church was, in my opinion, very hypocritical. Um, And so I essentially lost all my Christian friends, and then I was introduced to other non-churched new converts through through that experience of working at work. Like I met people who who didn't grow up in the church, so they didn't share my experience, but they they had a um, but they had a new faith. You know, they they had just come to faith. And they had a lot of questions, obviously, as they had just come to faith. Um, And they felt that they couldn't find the answer. So naturally, like, we gravitated toward each other because I grew up in the church and um, doctrine was, like, a big focus of mine. And they didn't have answers because they didn't grow up in the church. And so doctrine is, it was kind of new to them. And so I started to look for God... um, outside the church, but with these people. And I got chastised for that. And, um, in that process, I was exploring other views. Um, I was exploring other sacred texts and eventually I came to the conclusion in this process. Um, and I'm really glossing over it. It was a very difficult time in my life, but I eventually came to the conclusion that the Bible wasn't really the problem, um, in the church as I'm reading through all these sacred texts, whether it's, you know, the Book of Mormon or uh, parts of the Quran or uh, the Eightfold Path of Buddha or, you know, so on and so forth, um, I eventually came to the conclusion that the Bible wasn't really the problem, but it was the followers of the Bible who were um, <laughs> who were the big problem. And, um, it, yeah, it's not because the, f- it's not because the followers followed the Bible, but it was because they didn't follow the Bible that they were really a problem. And so like, as I've built my ministry now, which is, you know, several years later, I've been a pastor for like close to 20 years now, like 17 years, I think. Um, I built it on the idea of trying to go back to the first century, starting back then. I, I sort of wanted to unravel and get rid of the the pomp and circumstance of the modern church because it was really hypocritical. Um and part of that was building that ministry based on the idea of 
like being tired of hearing what I considered to be faith-based answers for truth-based questions. So people would ask like real questions and they wanted real answers. And when I say real, what I mean is answers that have a meaningful impact on their day-to-day -day life. And uh, oftentimes what I'd hear people in the church saying is just, you know, well, you got to have faith. You know, somebody dies. Well, you got to have faith. Mm. You know, somebody is poor. Somebody's sick. Somebody's going through. Um, even back then, this is the late 90s, early 2000s issues with like LGBTQ um, gender identity and things like that. Oh, you just got to have faith. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So um, I, I came to the conclusion that when people fall away, it wasn't really for the lack of sincerity. It was that they had sincerity, but they had no lack of foundation. And there was something really difficult happening in their life. Or I'm sorry, they had a lack of foundation. There was something really difficult that was happening in their life. And um, what they had built just didn't stand up to it. Um, they didn't stand on Christ. Um, and the reason why they didn't stand on Christ as the rock was because their version of him wasn't a revelation of who God was, but instead it was a reflection of their own humanity or the humanity of the culture that they grew up in, of that, that particular church. So, um, yeah, so because of that, it was kind of hard to get me back into the church, and God took a really unconventional way to make that happen, um, and now I'm a pastor. But even in the last five years as a pastor, um, like I said, for almost 20 years, I even have other pastors now who don't really know what to do with my rejection of like conventional pathways, tried and true practices. Like I personally kind of reject like the idea of youth groups. Um, I have a very close friend who is essentially a glorified youth leader um, by rank in her church, and th there's no there's no youth leader in the Bible. That's not a real thing. Um, so, um, I, I don't, you know, believe in seminary training, not to say that I believe that seminary training is bad or, or anything like that. I just don't think that God, that God ever called people out of seminary. That just didn't happen. Um, so, I mean, it's cool to have seminary training, but I, I'm not compelled by it that somehow you are called by God. Um, and I think the stats justify what I'm saying. Um, I also have views on communal living and live communally, and people don't like that. I also uh, believe in insourcing counseling within the church instead of outsourcing it to professionals. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I don't think that our ministry here at ABF is, a, is necessarily foreign to the whole of Christendom, but I do recognize that it's rare in the mindshare of Christianity, and specifically in, in, even in a progressive city like PDX. So... Um, yeah, I think that the reason why that is, is because the Western church really isn't built upon the understanding of the holiness of God's revelation. And, um, the truth is that most Christians and Christian churches in the West offer really nothing that's holy. They offer something that's sacred, but not something that's holy. And that only works until, you know, you really need it to be different. And, when you get older, you start to realize that you actually need things that matter and things to be different. Um, and you need truth-based answers for truth-based questions, you know, because telling somebody to just have faith doesn't really work in the face of a new sexual awakening or a drug problem or an introduction to Gnostic literature or lusts um, for your life, let alone if you have trauma that manifests itself through your anxiety and that grows into everything that we've been talking about on this show, whether it's, you know, suicidal thoughts or paranoia or self-harm, that saying to somebody, you just got to have faith does not actually speak to them. And I don't think that's what Jesus did. Um, and so Christianity only really works because it's not the same as everything else. And that goes for the Bible also. And that goes for the bond of believers as the body of Christ. And so in the church, I was taught that the world outside of the church is full of liars and it's full of cheats and it's full of murderers. And then growing up in the church, I learned from the church. Um, sorry, when so I was taught that by, I was taught that about the world by the church. And then when I grew up in the church, I learned that the church is full of liars and cheats and murderers also. And then when I was kind of forced out of the church, then I learned that it, it was both, that, that the world is just full of liars and cheats and murderers, and that's just humanity, and humanity is wicked, and, and that it's not just 
um, it's not just Christians and it's not just non-Christians. It's, it's all people. Um, but then I also understood that people are special. Uh, and I believed that too. Um, I think that even scripture talks about that and that, that it's not just Christians who are special. And so, you know, it felt wrong to be in any place, um, whether it was church or another place that wasn't teaching that plain truth. And so I searched and searched and searched, you know, among the ancient texts. And basically I only found the one that spoke truthfully about that, which was of course the Bible. And, um, everything always said that we're either special or we're nothing, but they would never say both, um, except the Bible. And so basically I came back to allowing the Bible to make sense of it all. I stripped off all of the hype and pomp of everyone's propaganda, whether it's positive or negative. And basically it began to teach me in a different way than what the church had taught me, um, in a way that I could, you know, build my, my whole life around that. So, um, it taught me that we're all special and that we're all broken and that Christ is the answer to reconciliation of, of everything. And that if, if that we, if we have faith in him in real time, in real space, then it has an effect in our lives in real time and real space, because he was in real time and real space and is in real time and real space. So that is a very, uh, quick, um, glossed over version of my journey. Uh, and because of that, I have a really heavy heart for those people that are not compelled by what I would call the shady salesmen of Christianity. Um, you know, that try to just sort of evangelize them into becoming Christians. Um, and the reason why I have a heavy heart, heart for those people who are not compelled by that is because I am not compelled by that. Um, I'm not, I, I'm not impressed by it. In fact, I'm a little bit embarrassed by it. And I also have a heavy heart for the children whom are groomed to leave the church by the church itself. Um, because when they grow up to leave the church, why wouldn't they? Like, why wouldn't they do that when, you know, when, when I've experienced the Christianity that I was often taught wa was culturally um, maybe vibrant, but, but spiritually impotent. Um, and what good will that do them when they need real answers in real life dealing with real troubles? So I get it. That is, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I was speaking for a long time. What do you guys think? Um, I immediately just thought of um, the uh, different um, things that would motivate very, very um, popular pastors to um, be like a wolf in sheep's clothing, um, like get numbers high so that they can get their checks high. Right. You know, they'll say whatever they need to tell you to keep you coming and paying. Um, and then if you're not getting the fruit that you're looking for, it's just that you don't have enough faith. And so that goes right back to just have faith. Um, but yeah, that's immediately what I thought of. And that's like, that's what I would say would be probably the biggest, biggest opponent in having very sincere um, and, repentant relationship with Christ um, because the people that are representing it do the opposite. So yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, or did you, you good? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just sitting here trying to think about what my story is. And I think for me, like I, growing up, um, my grandma would take me to church every once in a while, or I'd be in like the summer camps that random churches would have. Mm -hmm. But um, I honestly just kind of felt like just a little fish in a big crowd, I guess, like just there along with everyone else, which I guess is fine. Um, when you're a little kid, I guess. Um, and then growing up when I hit like my teenage years and I was searching for more answers and like truths to the things that I experienced in life. Um, 
it was pretty hard to find something that felt compelling, um, like a church that felt compelling. And I think I went to like five different churches and, um, you know, people were nice and doing the best they could, I think, with what they had. Um, but yeah, I wasn't like, I was just searching for so much more than what was there. Um, and it wasn't until I came to ABF and like, it felt like real conversations and real like answers to the hard questions that I never asked but was thinking Mm. so to be fair it's like I never went up to any of those other church pastors and asked them questions or um, said anything to them I was just kind of waiting for someone to notice me or waiting for someone to approach or talk about things Um, and I mean yeah it took about six churches when I was really searching for me to find that um, I don't know. That's just kind of my little story I was thinking thinking about. Yeah, I can tell you that this ministry specifically was born out of a realization that there was a lack of a belief amongst the many, many, many churches that we have reached out to that dealing with these sorts of things um, is... So what I would consider real life issues like suicidal thoughts and self-harm and things like that, um, that dealing with these sorts of things belongs with the church. Instead, it was outsource. Let's outsource these things because who are we to talk about these things like we're somehow qualified? Um, but, you know, I, in the words of Jay Adams, I believe that we are competent uh, with the scripture, with the, through the grace of God and his revelation. So... Um, however, it is a growing movement. <laughs> Let's move forward. It's a growing movement to say otherwise. Um, you know, normally we'd try to get questions, uh, but the truth is it's such a growing movement that's, that there's whole YouTube channels with thousands and thousands of followers where people uh, sort of, for lack of saying it better, uh, deconstruct for a living. And so we just wanted to take um, some snippets. You can, you can find them on YouTube. Easy. Um, and just sort of talk, talk them through. So, um, yeah, let's do that. So the first one comes from a channel, uh, called looks like X fundy diaries. It's called, you can look it up. It's my faith deconstruction, why I'm no longer a Christian. And this is just, we're going to take just small clips, you know, to talk about. Um, but if you're interested in their journey, I would, you know, encourage you to, to hear them out. Uh, so here we go. This is about 10 minutes, nine, nine minutes and 57 seconds into, into this video. So here's an example. I'm going to go all old school and pull the microphone down so you can hear. Here we go. And searching scripture and praying desperately for some, some kind of answer that would give me peace at the end of that year. In December, I ended up rejecting the doctrine of hell. I just decided that there had to be something more to Christianity and to following Jesus. And that was so liberating and so freeing. And I truly thought at the time that that would stop my deconstruction. I thought that I was finally where I was supposed to be. I thought, yes, okay, I'm a true progressive Christian now, and I'm kind of a Christian universalist too, because forget hell, you know, that's not love, and I can just follow Jesus, but also love other people and fight for social justice, and that I could have my faith and these new values. For the next three years, I tried so hard to hold on to my faith. All right, so then she continues and talks about how she couldn't hold on to her faith. 
Um, which is honestly not surprising. Uh, it's not surprising at all that she was unable to hold on to her faith because she rejected the doctrine of hell. And that's not to say that the doctrine of hell is necessarily foundational, although it is a part of it. But it's to say that when you when you have a syncretistic view, when you can sort of pick and choose whatever you want from wherever you want it, um, well, then it compromises the integrity of the whole. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about what she's saying? Um, so you yeah. can move it. You can move your mic in if you want oh. to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I listened to the whole video and so, yeah, just knowing like where she's coming from and the whole background of that, it's, um, I don't know, it's pretty sad, just like the things that she went through and stuff. So definitely encourage you to listen to the whole video, but yeah, um, just picking, going back to like what Josh was saying, like picking and choosing is really difficult to do and like stick to your faith that way. And, um, she wasn't like given, um, a lot of foundation to stand on. She was homeschooled and had like a really small community, could only listen to Christian music that her mom approved of her. So when she left and lived on her own, um, just the whole world opened up to her. And so she started like, you know, researching and picking and choosing things. Um, and it makes sense how she came to those conclusions and how she lost her faith. And it is just sad to me. Yeah. And I would encourage you to go ahead and check out her page. Um, we recognize that like these, these are stories of real people who have, who have gone through real things. Obviously, we here at Nightlight Radio and Lithia Bible Fellowship in Portland, we don't agree with their conclusions. Um, at least the at least hers. I don't know if she reconstructed. I don't. She didn't reconstruct, right? Uh, not that I know of. Yeah. So, and her her channel is called X Fundy Diaries. I'm guessing Fundy stands for fundamental. Um. But um, it doesn't mean that she isn't sincerely going through this journey. Um, but there, but there are definite issues with the journey that sort of uh, I think predispose her to coming to her conclusions. Um, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that they're particularly intellectually honest about it. Um, specifically, that like what I said earlier, if you reject the doctrine of hell then you're basically saying that you can pick and choose. And if you can pick and choose, um, then you will pick and choose. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, and she says specifically that she wanted, she wanted to pick and choose in order to stop her deconstruction, which was interesting. You know, she says, like, I thought that I would be able to get rid of the doctrine of hell and then that would stop my deconstruction after three years. Um, but if, of course, you know, when you're playing Jenga and you start pulling the, the, the bricks, what are they, bricks, uh, the logs? I don't know. When you start, you know, pushing and pulling these things out of the structure, what happens to it? It becomes unstable. Um, now, maybe that's fine, you know, because the structure itself, you know, should collapse or whatever, and we can get into that discussion. But if, you, if, if the reason why you are deconstructing is to keep yourself from deconstructing, there's a fallacy in there. There's a problem with the way that you're going about it. What were you going to say, Jake? I was just going to talk about how um, the mindset of picking and choosing, how you will be motivated based off of Scripture to keep following, um, how that would affect you. Um, I think subconsciously it would add a source of redundancy to the philosophical brain um, or to a thinking brain like you would like question um, so if I tried to live in accordance to scripture but then 
ignore the parts of my sinful nature that would condemn me or to, um, you're talking about why like, you need give the me consequences. Yeah. Okay. Like that sort of mindset, it sort of then disqualifies the rest of what you're reading. Um, and it sort of makes it like almost subjective. Um, and I can see it becoming unproductive to do that. Um, especially if you continuously get into the habit of doing that for any number of reasons. Um, but yeah, I find it interesting that she was doing that, um, to get away from deconstructing and to stay consistent. Mm -hmm. But that seems to me, it would be the opposite, but rather you would want to take in more scripture and more understanding of theology to fully comprehend exactly what these sort of issues and topics mean and where they came from originally. And um, there's countless um, references in scripture that uh, talk about what the purpose of hell is and how we play a part in that. Um, I think finding that information would actually help build your faith as opposed to deconstruct it. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what her doctrine of hell was before she decided to reject it. Um, my, And I'm not saying that I blame her in this. Um, my experience with Christians is that they tend to not know the... the um, they tend to not know the more spiritual doctrines. So, you know, whether it's the eschatological doctrines, so like uh, the doctrines of last things, um, which would include hell for the record, um, you know, like what happens with something like, say, the pop culture term, the rapture, or uh, what happens like in the end times. Um, Christians tend to at least the Western Americanized Christians, the wax, as I like to call them, um, <laughs> they tend to not necessarily be big on their theology, um, which leaves, you know, it's a, it's a big hole. And I, yeah, I would, I'd be interested to know what the thought process is on that. There have been, the doctrine of hell, here's what I'll just say about this from a theological standpoint. The doctrine of hell is not in, incompatible with um, love. And, there's several ways that you can um, point out the compatibility of it. Uh, so, and I'm not going to get into that because that's not what this discussion is, but um, I will say that, that that particular doctrine is something that we find brought up a lot from people that are deconstructing. So um, it's worth its time to explore if you have an understanding of it, uh, because if you don't, if your understanding is sloppy even, or pop cultural, meaning like you sort of have like a bumper sticker idea of what hell is, um, you might find yourself using it to deconstruct. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, of course she's no longer Christian. Like that's, that would be the natural course. Like what you said, what I was saying, if you pull out the, the Jenga pieces, the building's going to fall down. Yeah. Subtra subtracting very important key factors of our Christianity um, would lose the ground upon its stands. Well, and, and, and in addition to that, even not the quote unquote important factors of Christianity, but just all the little factors will also make it fall. Yeah. Um, because there's really no such thing as that. It's like saying I can cut off pieces of a human being and expect it to live, you know, without, without surgery, <laughs> without extreme surgery to make it, to make it work. So, uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and check out um, the second video. This is from a guy who is... Oh, and by the way, that video had 13,000 views. Um, we, <laughs> we tend to get, like, maybe 100 views in post. So that should tell you something. Like, this is, this is a big topic. Here's uh, by a guy named, or not named, but his channel is called Chasing Truth, of all things. And um, he has 17,000 views on this video from 2019. So this is about six and a half minutes into it. Um, 
yeah, here we go. Given what we know, and given what we have observed in the year, in the Earth and in the universe, it is impossible that the Earth is thousands of years old. It is impossible that the universe is thousands of years old. And what I've done so long is I have looked at the text, and through my interpretations of the text, I have tried to interpret the world. I have tried to interpret the universe. And as I've walked in this, you know, deconstruction and I've examined my faith, I've discovered that when I start with the text, when I, we'll say this, when I start with my interpretation of the text and then I examine the world through my interpretations of the text, I do not come to good conclusions. Now, scientists today do not look at the world around us through the biblical text. They look at the world, they look at the evidence, they look at all that they can see and they come to their conclusions, which in my opinion is good because the Bible was never meant, in my opinion, to be a scientific book, mainly because science, what we know to be science today, was not around during the writing of the Bible. So, in summary, I do not hold to a younger creation. I do not take Genesis literally. I do not believe that the earth is young. I believe that the earth is billions of years old. I'll side with science on this one. Now, my third belief. Uh, Producer Jasmine, if you want to throw that video up, it is titled 32, period. Five beliefs I have tossed during my deconstruction. Uh, okay, so... In any case, um, there's a lot of things to deconstruct about that statement. Um, the The first thing I don't have it in my notes, um, but the the first thing I just I want to touch on there is: Do you see the postmodernism in where he is coming from? Right, he says multiple times, "I take." this and put it through my opinion, through my lens of truth, right? And when I start to look at the Bible through my lens of truth, this is what I come away with. So that's going to be something for you as a Christian um, or for you as a non-Christian, I suppose, that is going to be a telltale sign for what is going to lead to or enable deconstruction. And that essentially leads to the loss of faith for him it leads to him creating a divide that really isn't there. And you'll notice in what he talks about, he says that science is essentially new. It's something that is uh, that that they didn't have back then, and that's that's that is just uh, a logical fallacy. Um, it's like saying that Newton discovered gravity, and let's be clear: like Newton postulated gravity. Um, but he didn't discover it. Like people knew that what goes up comes down. Like they did understand that. Um, and it was there. Yeah. Already. Right. <laughs> it was, it, you know, like people had an understanding of it. They built things around it, like weapons, like arrows, for instance, and catapults and things like that, where, you know, they, they use trajectory. Um, there was science before, um, there was science before Newton, you know, came around uh, which, by the way, Newton, you know, one of the fathers of modern science, uh, he was a Christian, and he believes that the that the world was created and orderly, and because the world was created and orderly, uh, we can explore that creation and find its order for us to understand God better. So, um, there's a lot of presuppositions in what he's saying that are just um, kind of wrong, um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so science was around, it's, it's, it wasn't around in the way that it is now, and again, this is one of those things where it's like we're talking about the idea of something, um, and we can, there's, there's tons of people you can look up who can discuss this more thoroughly. Um, I would start with, even though I don't necessarily agree with his theology all the time, I would start with a guy named William Lane Craig, um, who is just all over um, in terms of debates and so on and so forth, who can sort of walk you through why science and Christianity are completely compatible to each other. Um, so, yeah, the other thing, did you want to say something, Jake? 
You kind of look like it. Um, no, I'm fine. Okay. Um, the other thing that I'll just throw out there is that he makes this thing where he, he makes this claim where he says the Bible never claims to be a um, a book about science, and he's right. I don't think he understands though what he's saying um, because the Bible not claiming to be a scientific textbook doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't claim to be true and therefore needing to follow scientific um, or needing to be in line with what we can observe. And that's all that science is. Like the science on things changes over time. Like there was a point where the science indicated that the earth was, you know, flat to people. And then they realized it wasn't because they observed it. Um, so science is constantly changing. I think all we have to do is look at the pandemic um, as they keep changing the mandates on um, how masks work and how masks affect things. They say, follow the science, follow the science. Well, what they're saying is that um, you need to follow the evidence and the evidence only takes you so far as can be proven in that moment. So it's not, science is not static in that way. We're always open to new discoveries. Um, but anyway, the Bible never claims to be a book of science. Hey, that's true. Um, but first of all, um, just because it doesn't claim to be a book of science doesn't mean it's not scientifically accurate. In fact, the Bible is pretty much the only book of antiquity that consistently cares about being scientifically accurate. Uh, it's constantly talking about names and places and measurements and and so on and so forth. It talks about the the strange things like the crust of the earth and the and the the form of the earth and so on and so forth. So that's one that's one point. Um, there, there's a logical fallacy in there that says you know it, because it doesn't claim to be a scientific textbook, it's not claiming to be true. Um, okay, no. And then the other part about it is that the Bible is not um, that the Bible is dynamic as a book too. And so, no, it doesn't claim to be a scientific textbook. Um, but it also doesn't have to claim that. And then secondly, it also is not one form of writing. And that's something that needs to be taken into account. And so like what we have here is somebody who, um, well, quite frankly, doesn't understand the Bible. And you're going to see this a lot in deconstructing also, uh, where you sort of have this armchair, theology or armchair philosophy about things um let's move on unless you guys want to talk about that a little more no i think that's good for me yeah okay um let's move on to this third video it is from um her page is just called sarah martin she's got a ton of followers uh Sorry, I guess I do have something to say. All right. Um, for uh, what the Bible has to offer in regards to science, um, I think that there's a lot of different aspects you can point to in regards to the Bible where it would support science and, in fact, encourage you to explore it. Um, we talk about uh, one of the writers of the gospel, Luke, who uh, gives his... Uh, professional as a doctor uh, uh yeah professional opinion on a spiritual matter um and connects his uh, scientific brain with what happened through christ uh, we also talk about and point to um what our cultural mandate is to explore the earth um and to build upon it um, I think that you couldn't quite do that if you didn't understand the way in which the world was created. And so to become masters of creation um, in God's will and in God's name, we should get to know exactly what he put into uh, the ability to help him create. Um, and if that was a hidden aspect to us, I don't think he would allow an apple to fall on Newton's head. You know, mm. so there's a lot there. Yeah, the laws are observable. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, there's a ton there. When you start looking at uh, like cosmology, for instance, and understanding that we are uniquely suited in this universe to be able to even understand that we're in this universe. 
um, like where our planet is and like how things are. It's it's really crazy. If you want a quick introduction, it's not a deep dive, but if you want a quick introduction, there is a, a Lee Strobel book. It's called Case for, I think it's Faith or possibly a Creator. I don't know. All those books are that way. They're good, yeah. quick introductions. Um, but yeah. Anyway, science is not incompatible with Christianity. Most of the main scientists um, who are considered the forefathers of science were Christians, um, and not Christians like it. Not Christians like people are today, where it's like they're Christians in their professional life, or they're Christians in their home life, but not in their professional life. Uh, no, like check out all the Ivy League schools; they were all Christian to begin with. Anyway, um, so the next one we're gonna look at uh, is. On a page, uh, Sarah Martin's page, she has a ton of followers, and she has a bunch of views, 142,000 views on this particular video, How My Christian Faith Fell Apart, A Case Study of Deconstruction. Producer Jasmine will throw that up for you. How My Christian Faith Fell Apart, A Case Study of Deconstruction. This is about three minutes and 35 seconds in. Each one of my deconstruction was definitely going to college. I went to a small Christian liberal arts college, and... Yes, it was Christian, it was conservative, but college played a huge role in teaching me how to think critically. I majored in psychology with a minor in theology, and these two classes combined really challenged me to ask tough questions. My theology professors, and philosophy professors especially, always were trying to push students to to rethink all of the right answers we've been told about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and salvation. So they were really the ones that pushed me to start looking at things in a different way and to ask, well, why do, why do we believe this? Or why is this doctrine this way? Or what are the other options? What do other Christians believe? So college had a huge role in getting me to begin developing critical thinking skills. All right, so um, she's actually kind of a prolific poster, so um, if you want to check out her page, again, it's Sarah Martin. Uh, again, I want to be clear, like, I completely disagree with her, um, but I think it's important to hear other people's voices. Uh, I don't think we have time to play another video, but I will throw out there, if you're interested in checking out more of the Christian perspective, like, more in-depth there is um, there is an apologist. Her name is Elisa Childers, and she talks a lot about deconstruction. So um, you can search her up um, and check it out. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So what she's saying is completely what we have found. Um, this is like this is the epidemic upon Christianity is that. People leave the safety of the church, quote-unquote, and they go out and they get introduced to new ideas and they just basically fall their, – their, their, their faith falls apart and it has massive implications for their life. Um, it changes the entire direction of their life and oftentimes that puts them in very difficult places um, where – They'll completely upend their life, and the consequences of that will lead to um, all sorts of, you know, disorders, um, an extreme amount of anxiety, and uh, what we what we're hoping specifically for this episode to do is to sort of show that this is a real issue, and um, to give light to to how this issue has um, could be a precipitating factor in some of the other issues we discussed this season. Um, so anyway, she, she talks a lot about those things and um, specifically that is really in college when those things became cemented when she became introduced to different ideas. So there's a lot of accusations that we encountered that were kind of normative across the board. Um, so we're just going to list a few and talk about them real briefly. We only have six minutes left or so. But um, basically, the the all most of those ideas can be summed up in one single uh, sentence, which is the Bible is wrong. 
Um, uh, so it's, you know, that the anthropology of the Bible is wrong. So anthropology, study of man. Um, though the culture of Christianity that they came that they came under, which is the lens in which they viewed their Bible, has said that Christians don't have value. Um, oftentimes that's like a derivative of a doctrine called um, uh, total depravity. It's part of the tulip doctrine of um, Calvinism, which, by the way, that's not what it actually teaches. It doesn't teach that people don't have value. But, um, but I can see how they'd get that. And the culture, you know, sloppy doctrine will will do that. So anyway, they push back against that and they say, wait a second, we do have value. And so if the culture of Christianity that's been developed is not biblical and it teaches that we don't have value, um, using verses out of context, like our righteousness is as a filthy rags to Christ or to God, um, then people can ask questions um, that are that make sense. Like here's one of the questions that you know was in her comments. Um, why do I need to be saved from how God made me? If God created me and knew the beginning from the end, then why would he create flawed beings that need to be saved? It's like being in an abusive relationship. Um, you have this push within the LGBTQ community uh, asking, you know, if if God made me and I believe he did, then how then why did he make me this way if it's bad? Um, these are all connected to a misunderstanding of the anthropology of man according to the Bible. So they don't understand how the Bible works um, or speaks about man. Um, there's like the, a, sorry. No, no, please go. I feel like a lot of it has to do with um, not understanding like God's love, like yeah. taking God's love out of context or making it what we want it or just not understanding like the way that we're saved and like I just feel people really get stuck on love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's so it's the anthropology and it's the theology. So it's the it's understanding who God is in his character and understanding who man is and how God made him and how those are connected to each other and it really has to do with the view of the Bible. If the Bible does not have a high view, then um people aren't going to study it correctly first of all in the culture. People are not going to study it correctly first of all, but then they're also um, going to be wrong when they do study it. So there's, there's, you know, issues with the view of evil, um, with the, with the problem of pain and suffering. How could a good God, that's how a lot of those, those comments start. Mm. Um, they talk about the inspiration of scripture and say that, you know, scripture has man's input and therefore must be not right, but then they haven't actually studied um, they haven't actually applied textual criticism that they would apply to any other work, but they don't apply it to the Bible. Um, and then they don't understand the Bible is not just this singular work, but it's dynamic. You know, there are areas of the Bible that are metaphorical. There are areas of the Bible that are historical. Um, and the Bible like kind of tells you what these different passages are. Um, but people don't allow for that because they don't actually understand what the Bible is. And quite frankly, the reason why they don't understand what the Bible is is because they are part of a culture that didn't teach them that and teaches them that it's okay to not understand what the Bible is. And so this is really where the work needs to be done. So we've only got a couple minutes left, um, but let's – yeah, just – I want to hit some points. Okay, so things to remember. There is a need for healthy forms of deconstruction. Uh, like what I was talking about earlier, some of which we see in the scriptures um, through the prophets, the life, the teaching of Jesus, though, like the prophets, Jesus, like they deconstructed the way that man had constructed, um, you know, their traditions. And that's why Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So there, there is deconstruction that is healthy. Uh, Jesus made radical critiques and, that's good, and we should survey church history and understand that as we like figure all that out. And many of the reformers, like a lot of us, talk about reformed theology, for instance, um, which we lean at ABF. We lean closer to reformed theology, although I wouldn't call us reformed. Um, but a lot of the reformers, that's literally what they did: was they deconstructed, and they they 
they said, hey, we're not going to pay attention to your traditions. We're going to pay attention to scripture and we'll keep the traditions that match scripture. Um, that's okay. The thing to remember is that most deconstruction isn't really um, deconstruction, but it's an attempt to do actual construction. Uh, because basically what they found is that the structure that the church did give to people is a structure – it wasn't actually prepared for, um, for what they were supposed to do. It wasn't built on Christ. And a lot of the issues that we deal with as counselors, when we're, when we're dealing with counseling issues, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with as people are having issues in their faith has to do with the church or the family – or um, even even yourself punishing you for being immature when you are seeing the holes in the wow when you're seeing the holes in the ceiling of the church and you're saying hey the sky is falling like you can see that that's happening well the thing is in a lot of these cases the sky is actually falling and there are holes in the ceiling and you can't dog on yourself or somebody because they're noticing those things. Um, that's not deconstruction that's happening. It's actually construction. They're saying, hey, there's a problem here. It needs to be fixed. And so that process should be guided. It shouldn't be restricted. And we need to understand that people can sincerely uh, be Christians and, and still fall away from their Christianity simply because they weren't ever mature enough to stand in their Christianity. And so what we have to do is we have to help people while they're going through this process, we have to see their their concerns as serious and their doubts as serious and their questions as serious. And um, we have to help them to construct their beliefs on the actual work of Christ and the words of Christ and the person of Christ. And we do that with the scripture. Um, and we, we need to get rid of the hubris that says we can't tear down church culture. Um, because keeping church culture only kills the church, and that's what we're seeing statistically. And then people are, you know, guilty and alone and ashamed and afraid and bothered, and the church is viewed as impotent. Um, instead, we have to help people to reconstruct their faith around the same scriptures that have given people hope and strength um, to fight against the very things that are leading many of our young people away from the faith to begin with. There is answers in the faith for people who are self-harming. There is answers in the faith for the issue of inerrancy. There is answers in the faith for um, gender fluidity and identity and all of those things. There is answers for how a bad world can be made by a good God. So anyway, those are the final thoughts on it. Do you guys have other final thoughts before we close out the season? I was just thinking those conversations and that construction of faith should start young. Like absolutely not, yeah. not to any, like, you know, you don't scare your children and just like throw everything at them at once. But I mean, they're going to start asking questions young and they should. And if they're not, then start conversations with them, see how they feel about different things that are happening in the world. Because if, the foundation isn't built and there isn't something there for them, like, you know, actual truth and answers to the problems that they're seeing in the world, which is everywhere. Like almost every kid has a cell phone or can see a TV or right. can go to public school, which I mean, COVID's kind of weird for that right now, but, and they hear people talking and they hear all these things and, if it's not talked about, you know, within the family or within the church and foundations aren't built, then they'll find answers somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a teenager and you're and you're asking these questions for the first time, then shame on your parents. Like <laughs> that's like you shouldn't feel bad for asking these questions. Like you in fact, you should be angry that that you haven't been introduced to these things ahead of time. Um, because you should have been asking these questions and that's for, I can tell you for my kids, like, I mean, that's, I mean, my daughter's been asking me questions about, you know, and my son also like questions that like, how can God be real if I can't see him and things like that, 
which gets real complicated when you talk about things like video and how people can <laughs> be talking to us through technology. Anyway. Um, yeah, and they were like two years old right. when they started asking right. those questions. Right. And if it's a part of the everyday dialogue, then it's not a problem. The thing is that we we want to keep this like I don't know what you would call it, like clean Christianity. And Christianity is not clean. Christianity is an operating room. Christ says that he came for the sick and the dying. And you know, Christianity is 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 operation. It's it's him performing radical surgery on our hearts and we at the best walk away with scars. And we can't, you know, pretend that that's not what it is and then be bothered when people you know don't understand at the at the uh, best and at the at the worst reject it that's our fault so anyway okay well that is our show for tonight if you want to reach out because of what you've heard here uh email us or text us our staff is always available to pray to talk or to answer questions, uh, we do that on Monday nights from 9 to 10.30. Obviously, those services are available all the time. Um, so, But those are our office hours, so you can feel free to reach out. Um, people will be willing to talk to you. Remember, if you want to donate to our services or learn more about us, you can do that at abfpdx.org. Uh, we are a church located in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I would just ask that you share this video and any of the other videos that we've had that have been helpful to you or you think could be useful for people that you know. Please share the videos with anyone who might need them. And remember to subscribe. And uh, you can hit that notification bell to get you know the next episode. However, <laughs> the next episode will start sometime in the new year uh, because this is the final episode for season two. In the meantime, check out the content of our sister shows. We have a, a grip of them. Uh, we've got Culture Insanity on Saturday. Pastor Adam and Pastor Monty and I think Pastor Dan. Yes, Producer Jasmine's like, yes. Okay, so Pastor Adam, Pastor Monty, and then we have a guest pastor. Pastor Dan are going to be talking about pop culture. They're going to be doing that this Saturday at 9 o'clock a.m., and uh, you can uh, get more from me. I'm doing Heart Scribe verse by verse, going through the book of James, verse by verse, and talking about its implications spiritually for you. And I'll be doing that all throughout the year. So um, you can keep uh, tuning into that. But that is it for season two. So we will see you in season three. Good night. Stay healthy. Stay vigilant. And cue the disclaimer. views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigil